Anchor.fm, a subsidiary of Spotify. Out of Philadelphia, I'm Quincy Stallworth with Quince Questions. Today we talk with Dr. Michelle Meyer. She's an award-winning poet, community activist, and educator. As a founding member of the Asian American female spoken word poetry group Yellow Rage, she was one of the first Asian American women to appear on HBO's Russell Simmons Presents Death Poetry. She comes to us as one with experience as a mentor, a professor, and a leader. We also talk about her upcoming performance memoir titled Mudong Magic, mythical shamans who exist on the Korean Peninsula in order to help heal and serve their local community and villages. Dr. Myers explores how words can hang on to grief and how memories can create a landscape of both loss and healing. And now a message from our sponsors. Your brand is operating on your behalf 24 hours a day and brand consistency builds confidence. At 1030 Designs, we help you build brand confidence by creating cohesive logos, social media posts, websites, and marketing materials so your audience knows who you are at a glance. We're here to help, and we're ready to get busy for you. Visit us at 1030designs.com today. That's 1030designs.com. Hello, everyone. This is Quincy Stallworth. I'm here with my incredible friend and mentor of many, Dr. Michelle Myers. Look at that. Look at that. How are you doing there, Dr. Myers? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much, Quincy. So I got you on here today because we want to talk about mentorship and and, because you're an incredible mentor. I've seen how you've changed the lives of young people living in and around Philadelphia and living in Philadelphia as a young uh, black teenager, a young Latino teenager, a young Asian teenager, teenager of any minority is very tough in the inner city. Uh, and a lot of people don't understand the pressures of, 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 of the peer pressure and the, the, the various trappings for minorities in major cities. And mentorships, I have found, have have always produced success stories. Rarely have, rarely ever have I come across anyone who got out of prison and said, you know, my mentor said I need to do this (laughs) so I don't go back. It's usually they found a mentor while they were in prison, but no one ever seems to go into prison with a mentor. Mm. That being said, you know, maybe there might be some exceptions to the rule. I don't know. Where and why did you even get started in mentorship? Well, you know, I think that for me, um, becoming a mentor was something that I felt was extremely important because it was kind of, it was a way for me to pay it forward because I had had so many people in my life who um, took me under their wing and, um, you know, gave me care and attention and nurturing at moments in my life when I really needed it, like moments in my life when I was really lost. Mm -hmm. 
And, um, you know, I, in, in the interview we had done previously, I had talked a little bit about, you know, me as a teenager and, you know, struggling through various types of very difficult, um, you know, situations and experiences. And um, I think that, you know, for me, when, by the time, I, I, you know, by the time I got to college, there had been, um, you know, maybe not mentors. Let me, I guess first I should say that, you know, uh, for me, it was not necessarily looking for mentors because I had a hard time trusting people, but finding places where I could feel safe mm-hmm. because as a, especially as like, um, I guess I'll, I'll speak from the perspective of being, um, you know, a, a biracial Asian American or Korean American woman. Um, I always felt as though I didn't have a place where I belonged. You know, I always felt like, you know, I was constantly being told that, um, you know, because I was biracial, I wasn't, you know, enough of this or enough of that. You know what I mean? So like white people would tell me, oh, you're not, you know, you're not white enough, you know, and, um, and then finding all, all kinds of ways to kind of pick me apart because of that. And then, mm-hmm. you know, of course, on the other side of that, I would have, you know, Asian people or, or even more specifically Korean people who would say, oh, well, you're not, you know, Korean enough. You're not Asian enough. You don't look Asian enough. You don't look Korean, you know, and, and how that, you know, really deeply affected me. And so I never really felt as though that I had um, a safe space. And so, you know, for me as a teenager, actually, the place, the places where I found the, you know, the spaces that were provided to me where I felt the most safe was actually in um, spaces where it was, um, you know, African-Americans who, um, I'm sorry, Quincy, I'm going to get kind of emotional, like, okay. you know, spaces where, you know, African-Americans kind of like, you know, pulled me in and accepted me, you know, so you know, before I talk about mentors, I have to kind of acknowledge that, you know, when I was a teenager, you know, and I felt like an outsider, it was, you know, um, you know, African-American, uh, you know, young women my age who reached out to me and, you know, kind of pulled me into a community of sisterhood, you know, and, um, and, and that's when I felt like, you know, I, I was the most accepted for me, regardless of what my race was you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. you know once they decided that they were my friends that that was it there was no question about it and they they had my back no no matter what you know and so that's where i felt you know the um you know uh the first time for me like a real sense of of feeling accepted and and that i belong you know just for being me you know and that kind of carried when i went into college and then I have to say that, you know, when I went to college, um, that 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 feeling of, you know, having a safe space um, within within places where it was, you know, mostly African-Americans who were, um, you know, who were kind of taking me under their wing. I mean, that continued into college and I had, you know, several mentors. Um, I went to college, at, you know, they we're talking way back in the day. I went to Glassboro State College. Mm. For my undergrad um, in New Jersey, uh, which is now Rowan University, wow. and um, you know when I went to, uh, you know at the time Glasgow State College, um, yeah, I mean I, I still kind of felt the same way. I mean I had joined the Asian Student Association, but I still kind of came up against that. Oh well, you know you don't look Asian or you're not Asian enough. I didn't really feel like uh, you know they they really saw me as being you know Asian. Um, to the point where, you know, where I felt like I felt really comfortable. And it was, you know, um, 
African-American, uh, I, I got involved with this program in New Jersey. We have this program called the EOF program, which stands mm -hmm. for Educational Opportunity Fund. And it's EOF MAP, Educational Opportunity Fund Minority Achievement Program. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, most of this, it's an uh, alternative admissions program. And it's, um, you know, mostly for students who can't get into college um, through regular channels due to, you know, economic issues and, you know, so mm -hmm. forth and so on. And um, most of the counselors that were in that program were um, African-American. And um, there, you know, there was uh, two counselors in particular who took me under their wing. And um, that was Mr. Bill Myers and Mrs. Alameda Williams. And, uh, you know, and, and so, you know, they, they, I'll never forget, like, you know, Mrs. Williams one time, um, you know, when I first uh, applied to participate in the EOF MAP program and uh, you know I kind of showed up at her office one day and she couldn't talk to me at that time and uh, so I decided I was just gonna wait and I sat outside in the hallway um, you know outside her office like I don't know for a couple of hours and mm. she you know I kept going on and on with her meeting and uh, you know she came out I, I guess you know she I, I don't know where she was going she was on a little break or whatever and she saw me sitting there and she said wait she said, were you here to come see me? And I said, yeah. She said, why didn't you come back in and check and and remind, you know, someone that you were coming to see me? And I said, well, I, I just thought I would wait. And she said, no, Michelle, you have to, you have to yeah. advocate for yeah. yourself, yes. you know? And so it was like, you know, Mrs. Williams was always someone who, who like told me, you know, um, you have, Michelle, you have to speak up. Michelle, yes. you have to, you know, you have to assert yourself. You have to, and, and, you know, and so it was, you know, people like her and, um, you know, Mr. Myers, uh, while I was in college, um, who didn't really have to, you know, but they did. And, uh, and so I'll always, you know, be grateful to them for that. And then there's, uh, one other person, um, or maybe two other people that I should mention, um, you know, as far as, uh, being mentors, uh, when I went on to graduate school, there was, a a woman by the name of Brenda McMillan, mm -hmm. who I met, um, I was part of the uh, Future Faculty Future Faculty Fellowship Program at Temple University, which is a, a fellowship program for um, graduate students who plan to go on to become professors. And because, you know, we identify as as a faculty of color, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we're underrepresented in the field that we're choosing to, you know, go into. And um, again, you know, I always, anytime I enter a new space, I always feel like I'm the, um, you know, the, the person who doesn't really have any place where I belong. And, you know, I probably was just like looking really lost. And there was this woman who um, took me under her wing, um, just decided that she was just going to, um, you know, be my friend and, uh, you know, stayed my friend. She's no longer with us. She passed. Oh. Her name was Brenda McMillan, and um, she just decided, um, you know, she was just going to take take me under her wing as a little sister. And uh, I can't you know, express enough the the unconditional love that Brenda gave me, and um, always was there for me, always was supportive of me. Um, and again, you know, she's she was an African American woman, and uh, you know, so. For me, all the way up into my late 20s, it was, um, you know, um, these spaces, these spaces where, you know, African-American people just decided, you know, that they were going to kind of pull me in 
um, and, and, you know, treat me, uh, as a valuable person, Mm -hmm. you know, um, what, what you you are describing? There's, there are three types of mentors in, in all of my, uh, um, pre, uh, interview uh, research there are three types of men- uh, mentors there's the pair mentor which is usually someone on your level surrounding around your age group then there's the career mentor and that's usually someone in a higher position you describe them and then there also is a life mentor right. and the life mentor is, can you sometimes many times be a grandmother a parent uh, an, an uncle and you have described uh, those Three. So what I've come to the conclusion is that you need more than just one mentor, just one. You, you just can't put everything on one person, especially if you uh, aspire to do great things like you have. Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the, the one of the most valuable lessons that, you know, I learned from those experiences is that what's what's most important is that when you become a mentor, you know, you treat that whoever it is that you're taking under the on your wing you treat them as someone who is valued and accepted you know no matter what i mean Mm -hmm. you you give them the tough love when they need it you know what i mean but you have to be there for them you have to be present for them you know and for me much of my life i had gotten messages of how i i you know didn't measure up in whatever ways you know Mm -hmm. what i mean yes and these these people who that I mentioned, they always made me feel like, you know, I was enough and I could be anything that I wanted to be. I mean, that's what their message always was. You know what I mean? Like the only thing holding you back, Michelle, is you, you mm. know? And they always, you know, they instilled in me when I didn't believe in myself, they believed in me for me and right. said that now you have to take, I, I can't, I can believe in you, but I can't do it for you. Right. You know, you have to do it for yourself. And and for me, you know, in passing that forward, um, you know, uh, that that's something that is is I think, uh, you know, that I've tried to um, also use in my own mentoring. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be able to anyone who comes to me for whatever reason and say that, you know, um, you know, Dr. Myers, I'm looking to you, you know, to help me, you know, for, you know, ABC reason. Mm-hmm. I always want to tell them, you know, I always want them to feel like that no matter what, you know, I'll, I'll always have their back. I value them, you know, as a, an individual and distinct person. And I'm going to meet them and accept them wherever they are, you know, because that's what was given to me. And I just want to pay that forward. You know, would it be safe to say that you are only here because someone saw something Within you worth polishing and refining. Oh, abs- absolutely. You know, I, I could have gone so many different ways, you know, um, so many negative, negative ways. And because, um, you know, these people that I mentioned and, and others too, I, I, there is one other person I, I kind of want to mention too, but, um, you know, because they, they, for whatever it is, whether I looked lost or they felt something coming from me, a certain type of energy or whatever, you know, they intervened, you know, and told me, no, you are a, a valuable and wonderful person the way that you are. And I see it. And if you could only see it, you could do whatever you want. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I absolutely do think that I could have, you know, went in a completely different direction um, that might have had, you know, negative consequences for me. Mm. Um, but, what, you know, I do want to mention one more. I mean, because there are people, you know, um, in the 
the Asian American, um, Philadelphia Asian American community who also, um, you know, me mentored me like at the time when I, uh, you know, after um, I got my master's degree and I was trying to uh, discover, rediscover my voice as, um, you know, a poet. And I found out about the Asian Arts Initiative. Um, you know, when I, once I went to the Asian Arts Initiative and I met Gail Issa, who's the founder and um, at the time, executive director of Asian Arts Initiative, as well as Gary San Angel, who ran um, the Something to Say workshop that I um, joined. And that's, it, you know, where I met my, I first met my poetry partner, Katsi. Uh, Vile Fan and we became, you know, yellow rage out of that workshop, something to say, um, you know, for me, that's kind of where I finally felt I, I, I was accepted as an Asian American, like at the Asian Arts Initiative, you know what I mean, among Asian American people before that time, like I said a few moments ago, like I mainly felt like you know asian american people looked at me and said oh you don't look asian oh, you're not asian enough and, mm -hmm. but not never did i feel that way when i was at the asian arts initiative so that that really began my journey um you know in in terms of rediscovering my identity as an asian american woman and 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 i have to say that for you know for gary um he was very similar to many of the people that i mentioned earlier in his mentorship style, he always told me you can do it. He never told me that there wasn't anything I couldn't do. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? He, he always, and I think another, you know, uh, similar quality or trait among all of these people is that they listened, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they were never lecturing, they listened, you know, and, and where they felt like they needed to provide guidance, they did. And that was something that Gary was, Gary was and is really amazing at, and that's listening. And then, you know, in the process, giving that encouragement of there's nothing you can't do, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I just wanted to make sure that, that I acknowledge both, you know, Gary and, and um, Gail too, as mentors for me. Now, what qualities did you look for in a mentor? Because many people think just being older means you will be a great mentor. What, what were you looking for, a good listener and what else? I wasn't honestly, Quincy. I wasn't looking for anything. They picked me. Uh. <laughs> you know I mean? like they, they picked me. Like I wasn't. I was just doing whatever. You know? I was. I was wandering and meandering. You know what I mean? And and just kind of. That's what I mean. Like they. I don't know what they saw. Like I don't right. know if they saw someone who looked lost or whatever but they picked me you know they mm. said okay young lady <laughs> i can see there's something going on here <laughs> i'm just gonna take you you're coming in my office you're not sitting out in this hallway anymore come yeah. in my office yeah. you know what i mean or let me have this heart-to-heart -heart talk with you let's let's talk what's going on with this you know kind yeah. of thing yeah. yeah let me take a moment to reintroduce you I am with, for those of you who just joined us, I am with Dr. Michelle Meyer. She is a phenomenal mentor and a very great friend of the show. We'll be back with more Quince questions right after this. Hey, y'all. My name is Ernest Owens. I'm an award-winning journalist and CEO of Ernest Mini Empire, LLC. I just launched a great new podcast called Earnestly Speaking, where we talk about friends, foes, and anything that goes. I love talking about the news, politics, social issues, pop culture, entertainment, everything that you probably don't want other people to know you're thinking about. 
So if you really want to hear a black criminal's perspective on the world, this is the podcast for you. And if it's not, it's still the podcast for you. with my great and phenomenal friend, Dr. Michelle Myers. <laughs> Dr. Myers, Dr. Myers. I find the, the applause and the children screaming yay uh, break up the monotony and the deep emotional trenches we go into. And I'm going to pull you back into some more. <laughs> so okay. we're going to talk about the benefits of mentoring, especially for you. And I'd like to know, what's the most fulfilling part of what you do as a mentor? I think for me, the most fulfilling part of being a mentor is just seeing, you know, my students shine. I want to see them shine. It's, mm. it's, it's not about me. You know what I mean? Like, I've, I've, you know, I've done what I've wanted to do, I feel like. You know what I mean? And, um, and, and I've had moments where... I've had opportunities and, and moments where I guess people could say that, you know, I had, I, I was able to shine and, and I don't have to do that or be that anymore. I, I want to be able to provide opportunities to these young people, especially to these, you know, to my students, as well as to young poets who, who come to me and, um, you know, ask me for advice or, you know, ask me to help them develop their, their skills as a poet and so forth. I want them to shine and, and it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, I, I don't necessarily need them to thank me. I don't, I don't want them to thank me. I don't want them to feel like they have to, like they owe me. I definitely don't want them to feel like they owe me anything. You don't owe me anything. It's, it's all them. Just like I was saying before about, you know, the message that my mentors gave to me, it was like, you know, I, I can't do this for you. You know, you have to do it for yourself. And, and, and I, you know, I kind of, try to provide them a, a pathway and then I say you can do it there's you know it, it's up to you and then when they do do it you know I I just want them to kind of bask in the glow of all that I want them to have that recognition yeah. um so for me you know that's what I get and plus you know I also don't have this idea as a mentor or even you know as a professor I know that the hierarchy of of you know the authority of the classroom and so forth is that i'm i'm supposed to be the expert you know mm -hmm. and but i don't look at my relationship with my students that way i don't look at my relationship you know with uh students that i mentor in that way i look at it as this is a relationship of give and take you know and as much as you might learn from me i also can learn from you you know, I want them to feel like they are the experts, you know, in, in whatever it is. You are the expert in your own life. You are the expert in this, you know, particular area or subject matter. And I want you to be able to, you know, feel that way. And I want you to also know that I value, you know, you in, in, in what it is that, you know, you feel passionate about or what you know about or you know, or whatever the case may be. And, and so I also always let them, my students know, or, you know, the, the people that I mentor know that, you know, 
this isn't a one-way thing. I'm getting as much from you in terms of what I'm learning as you say that you're getting from me. So those are the, some, some of the things that I would identify as the benefits. Now, what type of mentor are you um, hoping to be? Um, I found out that Steve Jobs um, uh, had Bill Campbell as a mentor. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg actually had Steve Jobs. Bill Gates had uh, Warren Buffett. You know, what what style of mentor are you uh, looking to be? I imagine Steve Jobs, as tough as he was, is probably the reason why Mark Zuckerberg runs Facebook the way he does. And Warren Buffett being a bit more liberal with people and money uh, is why Bill Gates is the same way. So, you know, curious about what you would like to pass on to your students. Well, for me, I think that the type of mentor that I want to be is whatever my students or my mentees need in that moment. You know, Mm -hmm. if they need me to, you know, be a little bit more instructional, you know, then I want to be able to provide them with the information that they need, you know. So, for example, if I have, you know, um, a, a young poet who looks at me as a mentor and they say, um, oh, you know, I really like to know what I need to do in order to um, get some more visibility or, um, you know, build up my, um, you know, build up a following or, you know, how do I go about um, deciding what kind of merchandise or, uh, you know, other ways that I can supplement my income as uh, an artist or a poet, you know, and so forth and so on, then, you know, I, I know that I, I want to provide them with the best information possible just to kind of get them moving in the right direction. If I have, you know, a student or a mentee come to me and say that they're feeling, you know, like they, um, that their insecurities are are overwhelming them or they're having other personal challenges and so forth, then I'm just going to listen. You know, I'm just going to listen and I'm going to affirm them, you know, and 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 I want to be present with them. And 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 that's the type of mentor that I want to be in that moment. But in all moments, I want to be the type of mentor where, you know, like like for me, like I had been treated, I want them to know that I, you know, accept and value them for who they are in that moment. However, they want to tell me that they they identify, or you know how how they're feeling, um, and so forth. I'm never I, you know, I very very committed to making sure that my students and and the you know the poets that I might mentor. I'm never judging them. Right. I, you know, never are. You know, are they being judged by me? They can tell me anything they want. They can tell me anything about their life that they want. I'm not perfect. I mm-hmm. did lots of stuff. You know what I mean? When I was a kid, I, you know, I'm not above any of it. And and so whatever it is that they want, and I never pry. You know, I never ask them questions. I let them tell me whatever they want to tell me, in whatever moment that we're in. Mm-hmm. You know, and I just accept them where they are. So. Um, so for me, you know, I, I just, again, you know, whatever, when they come to me, whatever they seem to need in that moment, that's what I try to be for them. So mm-hmm. I guess it's probably a mix of different kinds of mentoring styles, you know, um, that I try to use. Well, one thing I know about mentoring for sure is it's an art. My mother is a mentor uh, to several uh, young women and men in, in West Philadelphia 
and she is very passionate about it. This was a source of contention between my siblings and my mother. You know, we were so quick to assume you love them more than you love us because we were looking at her through her passion and her art of mentoring through immature and insecure and selfish eyes. But as I've grown older and I've gotten to know some of these people who my mother has mentored, I saw that, wow, you really needed someone in your life to give you direction mm -hmm. and, 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 and to guide you. You know, I'm not saying that you love your children less uh, as you mentor others, but the emotional rewards of mentoring it, it, at times, it's just like any art. Sometimes the, the passion of, of photography is way more rewarding than my t the time I spend with my family. Mm -hmm. um, do you deal with the same guilt issues as uh, of serving as a, a, a parent and mentor? And, and what do you find yourself, you know, uh, battling uh, internally uh, about your passion of mentorship? Well, absolutely. I have definitely grappled with, you know, guilt um, over, you know, maybe not even just the mentoring, but also the amount of time that I spent um, performing and touring, you know, as a as a spoken word poet and um, how that might have made my children feel when they were younger. I definitely know that my oldest daughter now, who's going to be 24 this year, you know, I, I know for sure that when you know, when she was young, I mean, when, when Kathy and I were on Deaf Poetry Jam, she was three years old, you know, and then after that, it was a whirlwind and we were always on the road. And I know she experienced a lot of, of feeling um, that I picked poetry over her. And, and then probably as I started to get more into the mentorship part and I was investing a lot of time in, you know, some of, you know, uh, some of the young poets that I was working with, I, I definitely think that she probably felt like, again, I was choosing them over her. And, um, you know, honestly, for me, the way that I have tried to address this, this particular conflict within myself is, first of all, through reflection and looking back, I do think that there were probably moments where I did direct more attention and energy towards, you know, the young people that I was mentoring and, and because I would say, oh, my kids are, are fine. You know, my right, kids are good right. and, and, you know, good in the sense that there was nothing wrong, you know, and, and, and so they didn't need the attention as much, whereas you know, these, these other young people are asking for my attention, you know? And right. so, so, so I, I, I had to acknowledge that. And, and, and then I had to also acknowledge that they, that they felt neglected, that they felt hurt, you know, that they felt that I wasn't there for them. And, and honestly, Quincy, what I've done is I apologize to all three of my children. Mm hmm I apologize to my oldest daughter. I apologize to my two younger kids. And, and I, and, you know, I said to them that, you know, I mean, it's not an excuse. I'm, I'm not perfect. You know, I, I'm just like anybody else. I'm just doing the best that I can. But I also told, I told them that whether 
I they know it or not, or whether I've said it or not, I'm, and I and then I told them I'm saying it to you now. Everything I do, I do for you. Like everything right. I do is because I want this world to be a better place for you.、Right. You know, and and so, but I if you never felt like that, then I want to do more so that you do feel like that. You know, and so you know for the past、uh, maybe. Let's say five years or so. Like I have really made it a priority to make sure that all of the ways that I mentor, you know, my students or you know, young poets or whatever, that I'm the, the same way with my children. Like, you know, I had to come out of mom mode. In other words, you know what I mean. Like when you're in mom mode, I feel like it's different because, you know. There's the oh you you have to do this. There's the finger wagging. Like I don't do that with my <laughs> with my students and my you know the young poets that I mentor. There's no finger wagging. There's no making them feel guilty. There's no you know what I mean. Like I I do with I try to approach it with compassion and understanding and so forth. But my mothering style was completely different. You know, like it was the disciplinarian and the you know oh it has to be this 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 and this. Right, you know right, you don't.、Right. And then I, I, I said, well, why? Okay, I, I was telling myself. Well, also I was kind of, you know, doing, following into the, the mothering style that I grew up with, right? Right. And so that there was that shift. But then I, you know, I had to ask myself, why do I think that I have to be that kind of a mother? You know what、mm-hmm. I mean? Not to take any. My mother did the best she could. You know. Right. Of course. Um. You know. But um. I don't have to be. That kind of a mother,、right. um, and I know there are all these debates on, oh, you know, parenting styles. Like, you know, we shouldn't be like friends to our kids and stuff、yeah. like that. But, but I feel like again, I have to start reading my kids just like I read you know, and use, you know, emotional intelligence with my kids just as much as I do with my students and、right. my, you know, and the young people that I mentor. So, you know, I have to know in this moment. When I'm interacting with my children, this is what they need from me,、right. you know. And I feel like in the past few years, what they've needed is a mother who, you know, who listens to them. That、right. I'm not going to lecture them. I mean, I'm going to be honest with them, but I'm not going to lecture them. And also, I'm not going to just, just like I was saying a few moments ago, I don't ever want my students or the young people that I mentor to feel like I'm judging them. I don't want my kids to feel like I'm judging them either. You know, yes. And so when they when they share things, I and I think that it's been it's been so much better because my I feel like with all three of my children, I'm, I mean, kids are always going to have things that they're going to keep from their parents, right?、Of、they're not going to tell me every little thing, but I do feel like they they trust me more and they feel like they can talk to me about things more. And so when they do share things with me, I just want to listen. You know, and I'm going to give them my honest opinion, but I also want them to know that, you know, I trust their judgment too. And and on some level, I have to let go and, and allow them to make their own decisions. And whatever decisions they make, I'll be there to support them. You know, come what come may. You know what I mean, good、right. or bad. Now, what、yeah. you've just described is is something that、uh, my wife and I, in our marriage, we constantly、um, evolve and develop. It's called love language. And everyone、right. speaks different love languages.、Uh, right. My love language is—I I forget what it is—but my wife's love language is more of like small gifts,、um, hugs, and、um, I don't—I I don't come from 
a very uh, nurturing family. So my love, I'm 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 one of those people who I'm I'm best left alone. So my love language mm-hmm. is you know uh, leaving me and leaving me alone whenever I am thinking or what whatever. So and and what you just said with your your oldest daughter, there was a language of love there that both of you spoke, but you didn't. It wasn't the same language. So right. your language of love was totally different from her language of love. So she couldn't receive what you were saying through your uh, acts of love, and, she, and and you couldn't receive what she was saying through her acts of love. And usually, a child's act language of love is see me, hear me, approve me, and right. and a parent's language of love is. You know, don't be like me. Don't make the mistakes I made. Don't uh, don't uh, hang around those people. I've seen those people before. They will lead you down the wrong path. Absolutely. And it's yeah. so hard to to find yourselves, you know, speaking the same language. And uh, you know, but one of the things about maturity, one of the things about age and time, is we we grow. And our, we learn different languages of love. We become bilingual, then we become trilingual, then we understand multiple languages of love. Some people, you know, can can take a you know a jab at joke. Other people, they don't feel loved unless you unless you're joking with them. And and then there are people who they don't feel loved unless you, you know you are you know saying, hey, what's really going on? Right. And and that's something as a mentor that I'm sure you've had to learn. So that being said. And even as a parent, as an and and as a mentor, and as a teacher, and a professor, you know, you you have to speak at least fifteen different languages of love daily. Like right. you can't even. It, it's not like um, when you learn a new language. They say once you no longer call an orange an orange, that's when you are bilingual. But until then, you'll, you you only know one language. Right. And how many languages of love have you learned to speak as a mentor? Oh. I don't even know how to begin to count. I mean, <laughs> like I said, I just try to be with that student. I try to treat them as an individual. You know what I mean? Like I don't compare them to someone else or whatever. They are who they are, you know? And and I don't, I mean, I've been doing this a long time now, I guess, you know, I just kind of shift however I need to, you know? And, um, and so I'm sure it's got to be dozens, you know, dozens yeah. of different ways to talk to, you know, to my students and to young people. I mean, you know, if, if a student is, is struggling or whatever and they're an immigrant, that's going to be different than, you know, someone else who's struggling and they're, you know, uh, a young mother. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yes. it, it might be different needs and different ways I need to talk to them and so forth. So, yeah. Very complex world and is not for anyone. So we're going to take a moment to reintroduce you. For those of you who are listening, I am with the phenomena, <laughs> amazing Dr. Michelle Myers. We'll be back with more Quince questions right after this. What does it mean to be woke and free? It means to be woke, educated, and enlightened. And you are unapologetically free to share your opinion while hearing out others, whether they agree with you or not. What does Woken Free mean to you? It means digging down to what's really going on, not accepting information just because you are told it is the truth. It is waking up to the idea that there is a story behind the story. It is freeing yourself from the chains of control. How does one become Woken Free? Make the decision. Commit to a Woken Free lifestyle and never look back. Subscribe to the educational and entertaining 
phenomenon of a podcast at WokenFree.com, W-O-K-E-N-F-R-E-E.com, and you will tune in every week for Woken Free Wednesday for an unforgettable show you can't get enough of. Woken Free is more than a podcast. It is a way of life. Hello, everyone. This is Quincy Stallworth. I'm with my great friend, Dr. Michelle Myers. All right. All right. <laughs> you, you can't go wrong with the kids. I love I love, I the love kids. I do. I love them, too. All right. So uh, let's talk. You have a new show coming out that will be performed at the Barry Center for the Visual and Performing Arts at Ramapo College. Ra- Ramapo, Ramapo, Ramapo College thank you. Of- Ramapo yeah. College of New Jersey. It mm-hmm. is called Mudong Magic. Did I pronounce yeah. that right? Yes. Uh, this show will air uh, this Thursday, February 11th. Well, this episode will be in March, so it's it's on. It's on now. Uh, and as a part of the Barry Center's uh, Made in New Jersey series, the video um, uh, will be, be available on YouTube until mid-May. What happens after yes. mid-May? I think after uh, mid-May, they're they're probably going to prepare for their next um, performance season. So everything that they did for the 2020-2021 season will probably come down off of the Barry Center's um, ah, you know YouTube channel. Yeah. Gotcha. Now I first became aware of what a mudang was from the HBO television series called Lovecraft Country. Yes. Now yes. Th- that mudang is not in the book. That was really no, it, it's crazy. They wrote that in for the TV series, which I'm glad they did. Yes, because um, and 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 this this is sort of a segue, but uh, there's a lot of similarities between um, uh, uh, and what I know of very limited knowledge of Korean culture and African American culture. Yes. When I really when I found out how um I would there's a there's a uh, a very talented chef who uh, talked about how the Japanese basically uh, ruled the country at one time of uh, the peninsula of Korea. They and, occupied. Yes. Occupied. Yeah. occupied thank you. And there the, there there's an older culture. His grandfather thinks you are elevated if you an elevated Korean if you speak Japanese. He said he actually learned Japanese to speak with his grandfather because his grandfather mm-hmm. felt he felt that that was like proper the proper way of speaking. And yeah. you look in African American culture, you have um, people like Booker T. Washington who didn't believe uh, violence and racism against blacks were uh, a product of them being of the different skin color, but he believed that we needed to educate ourselves and then racism mm-hmm. would end, which is a is is a is a facade but it was a very unique idea how how similar the cultures are and how they've been occupied and oppressed and 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 so it it was it was just uh, just as they went into hbo lovecraft country i was like wow this is very interesting very interesting yeah so um i think that uh, i'm so glad you brought up lovecraft country because i thought that they did a really wonderful job of like showing the Korean culture. And, you know, of course there was the um, Kumiho, which is the Fox spirit. You know, they they did make some alterations to the Kumiho, right? Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. In representing her. But um, 
you know, but to bring in that that Korean folktale of the nine-tailed fox spirit and and make her such a, you know, complex character, um, but then also have the mudang there, um, you know, at the end of that episode, um, I think is, you know, it was just really well done. And, you know, someone who is of Korean descent, um, I was just so excited to see it. And I was also excited to see, um, you know, how those parallels between, um, you know, Korean um, identity and experience um, were and how those parallels between the African-American experience were you know represented in the show because it is true that um you know from 1910 to 1945 to the end of of world war ii korea was occupied by japan and japan was a very brutal um colonizer um in in korea i mean they killed people oppressed Mm -hmm. people they sold korean women into sexual slavery Mm -hmm. um they forced korean people to change their names from korean names to japanese Mm -hmm. names and then like you were alluding to, they also, um, you know, made Korean people stop speaking Korean, mm-hmm. you know, because the idea was that Japanese culture and language and so forth and so on was superior. Right. Um, and, and the Japanese actually did that in, in you know, other Asian um, countries, too. I mean, yes. China is another place where they brutalize Chinese people and, yeah. and so forth, you know, all the way down to the Philippines. But anyway, yes. but talking specifically about, you know, Koreans and Korean culture. Yeah, that that's absolutely true. And then the mudang, um, you know, the the traditional spiritual belief system in Korea is one that, you know, before the American missionaries came at the, you know, end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th century, our traditional belief system was one in which we were very, um, you know, we we had this, um, you know, this very uh, intimate uh, view and relationship with nature, mm. you know. Um, the South Korean flag actually, you know, has the yin and yang symbol, but also the, you know, the um, the black lines that are in each corner represent, um, you know, the elements of 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 nature. You know, there's there's earth, fire, water, and and air. That's what those those are ancient symbols that represent those four elements. And so, you know, it goes back to uh, you know, kind of a pre-colonial, pre-Christian time where um that's you know we believed in our ancestors we believed that our ancestors were looking over us that we you know had to um, pay you know an homage to our ancestors remember the memory of our ancestors and they they would protect us and then also you know again this very intimate relationship with nature and the mudang is um you know basically all all mudang or most mudang are women mm-hmm. and um they're a mediator between the spirit world and you know our earthly world yes and um and so yeah so you know for for my show mudang magic um it's really a a show about my mom and my mom's life and my mom's stories Mm. and um and 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 it's a way for me to remember my mom now that she's passed and um you know i um my purpose in doing this is to kind of recognize all the ways in which my mom you know, fought, she was a survivor and she fought, you know, to the very end through her. She, my mom passed away of multiple myeloma and mm. kidney failure. Sorry. And, um, thank you. And, um, and I, and I still, you know, struggle with her grief, um, in very, you know, um, intense and immediate ways. And, and so Mudang Magic is a piece that I wrote, which was about basically how my mom, when she was in her early 20s um she had an illness that 
doctors didn't know what was wrong with her. When I say doctors, I mean like, you know, modern Western trained doctors didn't right. know what was wrong with her and, and they thought she was going to die. And so she turned to a mudang, even though most Koreans nowadays are Christian, you know, as a result of the, the missionaries, American missionaries coming over, mm-hmm. um, she, you know, she turned to a mudang to try to intervene and, um, you know, to to cleanse her of the bad spirits that were in her mm-hmm. and and so she did and so you know um after she went through the ceremony with the mudang she um she recovered from her illness and and the doctors couldn't explain it and it was kind of like a rebirth for my mom she thought she was going to die in her early 20s and then after you know going through the ceremony with the mudang she she had a new you know um you know a second chance at life so to speak and so um the 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 significance of me calling the entire show mudang magic is that you know my mom as i said you know she she had a lot of um she was a survivor and she had a lot of unresolved trauma because of the korean war mm-hmm. and um and and i and i think that um you know that trauma is something that was also intergenerational in the sense that because she had unresolved trauma it got passed down to me yes. and and i also believe that she thinks that because my grandfather was killed in the korean war and basically she and her mother and her two siblings were starving you know i don't i don't know if people really understand the you know the the true human impact of war even when the war is over people people are suffering mm-hmm. and my mom would talk all the time about how they they starved like they they had no idea where their next meal was coming from you know and i think that in even though she never said it i think that she felt like her getting multiple myeloma and and you know and eventually dying of that disease was as a result of her not her being malnourished as a child because of not being able you know basically starving you know in the aftermath of the korean war and so the mudang magic show is a way for me to kind of honor my mom's memory honor her as a fighter um and kind of you know a symbolic rebirth of sorts because my mom also you know because of her unresolved trauma she look back over her life and 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 I know she felt as though her life had I I I feel as though she felt as though her life had no value mm. and um and I, and I think there were ways in which she tried to erase you know herself she tried to erase her life like for example um you know she she told us um my you know my my brother and my father and I that she did not want anyone at her funeral And so she made us promise that we wouldn't let anybody come to her funeral. And then one time I was talking to her about it and she said, well, no one would come anyway. And I said, why do you think that, <laughs> you know? And so I just saw that as a way that she was trying to erase who she had been because she didn't think that anybody would really see what she went through as, as something, you know, that, that was of value. And so me, performing this show and calling it mudang magic as a kind of a way to reclaim that and say yes you know she went through a lot of suffering yes she wasn't you know always you know you know 
a perfect mother. A lot of that too is me being conditioned in, in this culture in the United States to be ashamed of an immigrant mother, you know, be ashamed of her not being able to speak English well, her being ashamed that she doesn't have an education, you know, that kind of gets instilled、right. through assimilation, you know what I mean? And I kind of fell for all of that, you know, me. So this show is kind of a way for me to reclaim that and say, you know, I'm proud that I had, a, had an immigrant mother and I'm not going to allow her life to be erased, you know? So. That's kind of,、uh, you know, the significance behind,、uh, you know, me calling the show Mudang Magic and, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to do, you know, through this performance. Your mother seems like a very powerful、uh, person and with powerful influence on your life. What was she like? You know, my mother, like, you know, you were talking about love language earlier. And, you know, the, actually, this is something that I talk about in that, in the, Piece Mudang Magic, the actual piece, performance piece. And,、um, you know, my mother, she and I spoke different love languages, and her love language was basically was, was she, she was going to give advice. She wasn't, she wasn't a, a hugger. She wasn't, she didn't say, I love you. She wasn't,、mm-hmm. you know, she wasn't going to、uh, use touchy feely words or anything like that. You know, her thing was, If, you need, if, if I needed her, she would be there for me, but she was going to decide how she was going to be there for me. You know I mean?、right. She was going to decide what I needed. You know, rather than me telling her what I needed, she was going to decide what I needed. She was going to give it to me. And that was her way of telling me she loved me. You know what I mean? But the other way that she told me that she loved me was that she shared these stories about her life. You know, like, you know, these things that she went through, the, the, The pain that she experienced, you know, growing up,、um, her feeling like she was abandoned by my grandmother, because my grandmother eventually, because it's too, you know, in Korea at that time to not have a husband, and, you know, it was, she couldn't, she couldn't survive. So she, my grandmother eventually remarried and she started over with a new family. And then my mom and her siblings were kind of、mm. like left, you know, they were pushed. They were kind of pushed around to different relatives, but they didn't, they were, they had a really terrible upbringing, you know, as children. And so,、um, you know, my mom、uh, was you know, I, in sharing these stories about her, her life and her, you know,、uh, the things that she went through. That was her way of saying, you know, that she wanted someone to understand her, you know what I mean? And, and, and I feel like her saying that I, I feel I love you enough to share these stories with you. That was a, another way, you know, that I think that she was expressing her love. And despite the way my mom felt about me being an artist, my mom did not, you know, support me as an artist in any way, shape, or form. She, didn't, she never saw me perform. My mom never saw me perform. I mean,、wow. The only time my mom saw me perform was when I was on HBO, the, the Deaf Poetry Jam show that what, we were on. And, what did she say? And, She said, Why did you have to curse so much? <laughs> She said, Why、Parents. did you have to curse so much? I can't even tell a Korean family that you were on TV. It's so shameful. That's what my mom said.、Wow. My mom never saw me perform、um, except for when she saw me on, on HBO. But my mom can also. I, can I translate what she just said to you?、Yeah. What she was really saying was, I'm so very proud of you. I, I, I only wish it fit in a box that I could present to other people, I'm, but I'm so proud of you. And that's, that's how they say it. That's what they, that's what they say. I, well, I think, 
No, go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no. She's basically, you know, I'm sorry that what I'm saying doesn't sound like the way it should come out, but I love you so much. I'm so proud of you, and I want to show this to the world, but it doesn't fit my traditional uh, idea of what a woman should speak like, but I'm, it doesn't take away this pride I have for you, and that's, that is what she's, I believe she was saying. Well... I think that as the years went on and she started to realize that this wasn't going to go away, that I was going to keep doing it. And then the more also she started to realize that people, you know, did place some importance in, in my poetry and what I was doing. I think she did start to become proud of me. You know what I mean? Even though she didn't understand it, you know, she didn't understand what I was saying half the time. But she she just knew that people, you know, looked looked up to me and also you know value like i said valued what i had to say so then then that became a source of pride for her you know because and then she would start to say you know oh yeah michelle's a poet like she would tell my korean family you mm -hmm. know michelle's a poet she's she's she right now she's traveling to blah 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 you know then she could kind of you know but yeah but in the beginning you know she she kind of had a hard time with it but um but my mom, the, the last thing I wanted to say about my mom was, despite her, you know, somewhat being not approving of my, you know, my the path that I took as an artist, she herself was an artist. Really? You know? She, well, when I say that, I mean in her way, right? So, the, I mean, the, me telling stories, that I learned that from my mom. You know what I mean? My mom was a storyteller. She told me her stories. And, and, and that's where it was ingrained in me. Her telling me her stories is what made me want to write poetry and tell my own stories. I, I got that from her, you know? Mm. And then she she also, you know, she saw this, in a, you know, it's a, it was a job for her. It was the only job she could get. And she was a seamstress. But my mom created so many beautiful things. She could, she I mean, when she was, you know, the, the sewing factory that she worked at, as a seamstress, she made designer wedding gowns. She made beautiful wow. gowns, you know, and she took pride in being able to make the best looking gowns, you know, and, and she had a, um, you know, an industrial sewing machine at home and she made pillows and blankets and curtains. She used to make me, even though I didn't appreciate it when I was a teenager, she would make me clothes, you know, and stuff like that. And that was her artistry. You, you know? still have some of those blankets and uh, pillows? I, I do. I have awesome. some of her curtains hanging up and and stuff in, in my home. You know, some of the, the blankets that she made. You know, I do have one or two pillows, you know, around it. the house that she made. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. The legacy of uh, of great and powerful women is uh, it's, 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 a, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, you know, could you imagine what your life would it been like if you had had the mother that you would have designed out of your immature mind so many of us we have this like idea like oh she, you needed to be more loving or you need to be more you know more giving and you needed to be this but we become these really strong people because we had these very stern parents who really didn't speak our language of love but at this yet at the same time you know here we are breathing healthy surviving in a pandemic where most people who had overbearing and supportive parents have <laughs> gone, I'm going out. I need, I need the son. I need to be at a party. And, and because we had the parents that we have, we were mature enough to say, Hey, you know, we need to stay inside. We need to be safe. We need to do the right thing. You know, um, it's, it's, it's a, 
it's it's a unique thing and i i i just i really appreciate you sharing the story about your your, your mother with me it's 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 with us it's amazing thank you thank you so much and i think that what you're just saying is is absolutely right i mean i i had the mother that i was intended to have and i would not be the person that i am today without my mother in in all of the ways that she was like you know i yeah when i was growing up i i wished that she was a different kind of mother but you know now i recognize that just as i had always wanted to be accepted and valued for who i was in the moment you know that i was you know meeting people in i also really should have been that way with with my mother i should have accepted and and loved her and and met her in the moment that she was in you know but as you said you know growing up you you know you're young you know i'm young i'm immature i don't you know i'm thinking about me 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 i'm not thinking about her you right. know and this show you know this show is really my way of saying to my mom i i understand now wow 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 and i believe across the streamline she 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 appreciates this i believe that uh, without spoiling spoiling us can you share a little bit of you know of the performance or 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 is it is it, is it too much is it is it, is it is it all you got you got to see the show are you able to share a, an a, an excerpt or a, a, an idea a scene even a, a color pattern something so you know the whole show is called mudang magic but there's also a specific poem or performance piece called mudang magic and uh and, and just really quickly i want to say that you know this was the first spoken word poem that i ever wrote and it was the it was the a piece that i wrote in the something to say workshop that i took with gary sand angel at asian arts initiative mm -hmm. 21 years ago and um and so you know this is the very end um of the piece or the second half of the piece after i tell the story about um you know, my mom and I not having, basically not having the same love language and, you know, and, and also the story about the mudang and so forth. And and I guess one other thing you should know for this part is um, that uh, my mom would tell stories about how she would go to the Korean countryside and she um, would live in these, in these huts where uh people cultivated silkworms, you know, they would cultivate oh. the silk and then, and they basically, the silkworms were in the same hut as the farmers that, you know, cultivated the silk. And so she would tell me stories about how, you know, the silkworms would be on shelves, you know, and, uh, you know, all around the hut. And so basically to get them to, um, make the, the cocoon that, becomes the fiber for the silk you have to give them these leaves and you're always eating all the time so you're constantly giving them these leaves until they get so big and fat that they start spinning the cocoon mm. you know and and that was something you know she had a lot my mom told a lot of really really sad stories about growing up in korea as i kind of alluded to before but you know when she talked about the countryside and being a child growing up in the countryside she would have these you know, really nostalgic stories she would tell about, you know, certain things and the silkworms was definitely one of them, you know, and running barefoot, you know, she always loved to talk about how they ran barefoot, mm. you know, in the mountains and stuff like that. So 
Invoking heritage, I lay under a white sheet and enter a space open to the melding of memory and imagination. My mind's eye conjures Wudong magic. Wudong chants and the country hut materializes. Keeper and cultivator of silkworms, mounds of their mounds of their wrestling, writhing, wriggling masses on shelves like the hut emit hungry urgency. Leaves are given to eat. They eat. Fatter and fatter they grow. Mudang dances, but silkworms' movement slows. They tire, and the wrestling slackens. They grow weary, and the writhing slows. They seek sleep, and the rhythm stops. Overcome by the loadings of slumber, silkworms weave the stuff of dreams in which to blanket themselves. Mudang prays. Underneath the sheets, I hear her voice, and beats rise and fall as she sings and dances to the spirits to save my soul. A chicken chatters anxiously and falls into never-ending silence. Mudang entreats. Mudang blesses. The sheet is lifted. I rise to a new life, silkworm harvested and spirit renewed, grasping the threads of Mudang magic. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. Thank <laughs> you. I'm, I'm sitting here like I need to put some other music underneath that. That's that's phenomenal. <laughs> that, that is, thank you so thank you so so much for uh, sharing that. I, was, I I loved it. I loved it. Thank you. Thank uh, you so much for asking me to share. <laughs> no 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 no. I would I, I, I wouldn't I, I was you know I, I threw it out there. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. You know some <laughs> some some you know I, I I brought you in for one thing and here we are with another. <laughs> <laughs> We're into Mudong magic, and I love it. I love it. Um, one of the uh, most phenomenal things about my uh, my limited research on the Mudong was, like ancient prophets in Hebrew religions, you have someone who speaks to the gods on behalf of the people. Right. And 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 this person who, who often employs magic. Uh, and you told a story about your mother's uh, um, ailments and, and how she was cured. Yeah. And, and, and in the, in the uh, TV series movie, uh, you know, there are, there's fortune telling. They soothe spirits of the dead and, and, and they also repulse, they, they repel evil with spells, with uh, spells, um, spells. <laughs> spells. <laughs> and, and your poetry and your mentorship, I think, does a lot of the same. Mm. I've watched your uh mentorship with young people who who clearly you may not have been aware of it clearly were haunted by by uh by by evil spirits or or, or bad things that have happened in the past i've also seen the fortunes of these young uh men and women that you've mentored change and i'm not even personally in these people's lives i just i'm just like a facebook associate and i see them in the poetry scenes you know here and there and 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 I've also seen how your mentorship has, you know, repelled a, a certain type of evil and death in a city which sadly boasts of 499 homicides last year. So mm-hmm. you you your uh, mentorship and the uh, mysticism of the Mudang, I, I see a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. And would you agree? I mean, I, I never really thought about it in that way. I can definitely see what you're saying, and I'm I just 
feel really honored that you would, you know, make that that correlation between my mentorship and also, you know, the, you know, with the role or, you know, the with the mudang practices and and how they, you know, mediate and 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 so forth. You know, I just I just look at what I do and I'm just trying to make. I mean, it's going to sound, it might sound trite to some people, but I'm just trying to make the world a better place. And if I can do that one student at a time, one poet at a time or whatever, then I'll just do the best that I can. You know, I, I sometimes it'll make me emotional to think that somehow me, you know, being present in a student or, you know, a young person's life helped, you know, to save their life is what you're kind of suggesting a few minutes ago. I mean, that's, I don't know that. that I'm not suggesting, I'm telling you that's what you've done. <laughs> you've saved people's lives. And um, while it, it may seem like a, um, like uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm reaching or stretching. Yeah, and I've seen it. I know what's, I know what's in this city. I know what's, I know what's out there. You know, I, I you know, I pass by it every day. So, yeah, I know that you've changed and, and you've saved and you have changed the fortunes and you have uh, repelled evil spirits. And uh, as people walk around today, people are terribly haunted like houses. And, uh, you know, uh, we all need some mudang magic. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I, I think the last thing, you know, I'll just say to, you know, again, I, I guess it's me paying it forward because... You know, as, as we were talking at the very beginning and all the mentors that I had, I mean, like you asked me, would if they hadn't have intervened, would, would things have been different for me? And I definitely, you know, in many ways was, was on, you know, different paths of destruction, you know what I'm yes, saying? And yeah. could have been very different. So I can also say that these, you know, these people who I've identified as my mentors, they, they saved my life too, you know, in, in. The, their own ways you know um and and so you know again anything that that i do that is even remotely you know keeping honoring and, and expressing gratitude for the impact that they had on my life it's just me just simply paying it forward that's how i look at it i want to thank you so much dr michelle myers for coming on this has been a great pleasure and a, a, a wonderful thing to do on a snowy Sunday afternoon. <laughs> so <Yes>. thank <laughs> you so much. Thank you, Quincy. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. I, I really do. And, uh, and w I will be in touch. You know that. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Take care mm -hmm. of yourself and have yourself a good day. You too. All right. Thank now. you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. I want to thank Dr. Myers for coming on. We appreciate you. It was a, a really awesome interview. Thank you so much. Um, make sure you check out her her memoir performance play, Mudang Magic, currently playing on YouTube. I'll leave descriptions in the link on this episode. It may actually be gone in a few days, so make sure you rush and get to that. 
Quince Questions has been a production of Anchor.fm and the good people over at Spotify. The music you heard was all provided to us by Epidemic Sounds. We also want to thank the talented staff of 1030designs.com for crafting our logos and promotional materials. Join us for episode 95 when we interview the musical and incredible Alice Limoges. This is an interview you will only be able to hear if you subscribe to Spotify. I will make episodes with music for my Apple listeners, but if you want to get more in depth, you got to go to Spotify. Please like and subscribe. Join the Quince Questions community on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I say all kinds of funny things on Twitter because things are funny. I'm Quincy Stallworth. Thank you for listening and have a great day.